are listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Pastor Nathan here. It is an honor to spend a few moments with you uh, this evening. Uh, we are not too many weeks away from starting back our Wednesday night Bible study. We are having a slight change of format. Uh, we will have a audience at the church, but we will also be structuring where we are able to empower you together wherever you are. Our goal is not simply to have a great gathering at our building, the church is not a building, but for you to be empowered to be able to host gatherings wherever you are in the metro area. You'll be hearing more about that, but you should know that at First Church, we deeply believe that this is the apostolic model where the weekends is temple worship, just like the book of Acts, during the week is uh, house to house, uh, time together, bread together. This is the apostolic model. It's not my model, I mean, unless I'm apostolic. Uh, this is the apostolic model and it works because it allows the church to get both larger and smaller at the same time. <clears throat> uh, both models serves different things. Uh, when you're gathered together, you have more community influence, but when you're house to house, you have more relationship influence. I want to tell you a story that came to my attention a few years back, I think I would say six or seven years ago, uh, over 300 young Nigerian girls were kidnapped by a terrorist organization in Nigeria called Boko Haram. And when that happened, there was an outrage. Uh, it wasn't just in Nigeria that would be expected. They would be close to it. They would know about it. But it really went around the world. And um, Every organization that could help, tried to help. Uh, various governments tried to help. Uh, satellite reconnaissance started. I mean, you, uh, it was amazing that the uprising of desire to help these girls who had been uh, kidnapped by this terrorist organization. Um, I should say that it's easy to see people like terrorists as pure, unadulterated evil. And from our perspective, particularly driven by our fear, um, that is, that's the normal response. As Christians, however, we're called to try to see beyond uh, the fear-based response, and we're called to try to see with whatever empathy we can find. So a couple things about uh, this terrorist organization. Uh, many of its members were forced into um, the life of a soldier at extremely young ages. They were brutalized as kids. And when that happens, uh, in many ways, they may be adults now, but they're still a kid. They, they never had a normal development. They're brutalized. Uh, they themselves are victims, even when they are performing the most heinous, unadulterated evil acts that you could imagine. Um, that's the first consideration. The second consideration is that humanity is never so good at evil as when it has some covering of false righteousness. So this is where a militant religion can really be a purveyor of evil. And that's not just true of say Islam, that's also true of Christianity when uh, the history of Christianity where great sins against people were committed, but they, had a, they weren't fighting against evil, they were in many ways perpetrating it. Um, so it was with those righteous men who cried, crucify him, crucify him. 
men never do evil so well or so earnestly as when they have a pretend dysfunctional righteousness that they hide behind. That's why as believers, as Christians, um, we have to make sure that our Christianity is not falling into a type of human-influenced base basis uh, rather than a God-influenced basis. Whenever church is based on fear, which is very big, uh, or a desire for dominance, which is very big, both of these are wrong, and they both create dysfunctional uh, Christianity. Um, Fear-based uh, religion forces you to write off the world, to hide from it, to condemn it, to hate it on principle, even though that you'll say that's not what you're doing. Um, uh, it's fear-based, and it's the great tragedy of Christianity when it becomes a fear-based religion. It begins to emanate and manifest all of the evil of the human heart when it's fear-based. I'm not saying Christians don't have fear. I'm saying that's not what we elevate as our spiritual ideal, our star in the sky that we follow like a wise man, a wise man seeking God. Uh, that's, that's the wrong path. The other path is dominance. Um, and this is oftentimes more of a risk for the leadership where to reassure themselves, to feel good about themselves, to fix some psychological need they have, they, they begin to dominate people and treat children like they treat people like they're, they're, they're children and only children. All of us have childlike elements <clears throat> to our lives and our psychology, but <clears throat> we're more than children. And uh, so that's the two great errors, fear and, and dominance. So here you have a terrorist organization that many of its members are brutalized from very early ages. Uh, secondly, they have this righteous justification through Islam. Uh, not all of Islam is this way. We should care about justice and it would not be just for us to say all of Islam is that way. Um, now, if you don't care about justice, I'm going to drive you crazy. So let me apologize in, in advance. But there is a very strong element within uh, Judaism that, uh, excuse me, not Judaism. I refer to Judaism a lot when I'm teaching. So it's an easy mistake um, in Islam. Um, however, uh, we are not believers in the Prophet Muhammad. We're not. We believe the highest manifestation of God is in Jesus Christ. He is the mystery of godliness fulfilled for our sakes to be a righteous covering on one hand and also a righteous guide on the other. So back to the girls. Uh, they, their story was told by a couple of Wall Street Journal uh, journalists, uh, Drew Henshaw and Joe Parkinson, and the book's entitled Bring Back Our Girls, and the story's astonishing. I did not realize how much a testimony of faith it is. Um, most media um, separates anything that makes faith look good. Um, I don't know if this is intentional or, or if this is just something they do, but it's very much uh, a reality. And so the media sources told the story of these girls, but they did not tell the story of their faith. Uh, these girls were uh, uh, very much, as far my understanding and the, the, what I derived from the book is the majority of them were Christians and specifically Anabaptists, which in the West, we don't hear about Anabaptists, but they, they're here. 
and uh, one of their missions teams was in this area where this school was um, in the 1940s and established strong churches there. And many of these girls were um, from that inheritance of the Reformation, that Anabaptist strain of Reformed um, theological understanding as opposed to just the traditional uh, Roman Catholic Church. And they they were terrified they were they were they were horrified um 300 of them loaded onto trucks taken from their school the trucks speed into the forests the girls parents search after them on motorbikes and on foot until the 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 trail goes cold uh, the army's involved the other organizations around the world are involved everybody wants to help them and for three years these girls endured captivity deprivation uh, and nonstop pressure to convert to Islam and marry one of the, the soldiers of Boko Haram. Um, they were forced to suffer, uh, not just because they were captives, but because they had not agreed to become uh, believers in Islam and marry among the uh, Boko Haram uh, uh, group. That was the pressure. They were not taken uh, simply to be uh, as a terrorist, uh, uh, as a political statement, it was that, but that wasn't all. They also were looking for uh, wives for uh, the soldiers of Boko Haram. And they were offered to convert, and the way they were bribed is they would get better food, they would get shelter, they would get clothing, they'd get soap. Um, most of us in the West don't realize how miserable it is just to not be able to be clean. Uh, we're so used to hot showers and warm food that we we forget how it feels to be a beast and not even be able to get clean. Um, and they, these girls had to keep their faith and they begin to find small ways to, to rebel and encourage one another. Uh, the first manifestation of that, which as a preacher, I would love to preach this, but they were given books because they were told to write down scriptures from the Quran and they would have to memorize that. But that's, they only did that uh, as a pretense. They really used the books for a diary. They wrote down their story. This is a very important way of coping. Uh, this isn't my opinion. This is a psychological truth. Um, uh, prisoners oftentimes will retain uh, their, their, <laughs> their, their sound mind uh, through, through uh, documenting what is happening. Um, you'll think of people like uh, Nelson Mandela, who he, he wrote down as a way of coping what he was going through. That's what these girls did. And they began to remember Bible verses and they would quote them one to another. And the way they would do it is they would write down a Bible and remember if they were caught, they were, they were, they were beaten, uh, they were starved, they were in this terrible situation. And they would write it down, a scripture, and then they would give that to a girl who didn't know it. And the girl uh, would say she needed to go to the restroom and uh, the guards would allow her to go to the restroom. And then in the restroom, she would copy the scripture that she did not have and she, they would start collecting scriptures and sharing scripture uh, this way. Um, they, over time, grew more resolved. Um, I don't know if it's fair to say that they, 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 they grew better at their, their suffering. Um, I don't know if it's fair to say that they developed a counterculture to that which was oppressing them. I don't exactly know all of the details, of course, but they begin to grow stronger and they begin to find ways to rebel. And remember, every day they're, they're pressured to convert 
to, to become the wife of uh, one of the soldiers. <clears throat> and uh, they had to find ways to resist against that. And they would, the first thing that is in the story is how they would write down what they were going through. They would write down scriptures. Um, the second thing they would, they, they begin to do is they begin to sing. Now they had to sing quietly. They had to muffle their singing. Uh, in many cases, they would start, um, they would like, like start in a group and then they would continue silently in the head. And so they're all kind of swaying to it. They're all singing it, but they can't sing it out because in many cases, these are Christian songs. And uh, they're, 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 I would say in the majority of cases, these would be Christian songs. And um, the guards would punish them, punish them for that. And um, then as the months passed and, and even years passed, um, when they were, really suffering and individually they were hitting the bottom of their psychological strength they learned to uh, just whisper to each other uh, this they would they would say just be faithful just be faithful just be faithful so uh, first thing is an expression of word they they wrote down what they were going through they wrote down the scripture they let word uh, give them identity uh, and also uh, remind them uh, that they uh, and promise so identity and promise remind them that they could uh, they could make it um, and so every day every every week the pressure on them is just immense immense and when the guards would would go to their uh, prayers at certain times of the day um, these girls would pray together and they would encourage one another and they would sing together. And so the result of this is that they were able to hold on to the two, two profound anchors of their soul. And that is they kept their identity. You see, that's what the guards were trying to strip from them. And if the guards, if Boko Haram could take their identity, uh, then why not marry into uh, the, the community? Why not be the wife of a, a Boko Haram uh, fighter? Um, if they could strip their identity, then why not be assumed into that culture? Um, but these kinds of, this faith that was within them allowed them to keep their identity. Uh, you guys hear me talk a lot about spiritual identity. And oftentimes it's easy to wonder exactly what I, I mean. And one of the benefits I have is uh, my wife oftentimes will challenge me on okay, that's a good idea, but what does it mean? Uh, try to help a person with it. Imagine somebody in a situation and she's constantly holding my feet to the fire on that. And so uh, imagine one of these girls heard a lot of Bible teaching on um, spiritual identity and knowing who you are in God and never thought she would need it. But now in this situation, they may not have written it out as understanding. They may not have put it in a textbook. They may not have had some theory of uh, self and psychological strength, but uh, let's make it simple. Their captors are trying to destroy their identity. And if they can do that, then they will lose and they will be taken in as a, a member of this community that's literally, uh, in many ways, destroying them. Um, and so uh, that is uh, a real world spiritual identity. In your life, uh, you have things that are coming against you, telling you to give up, telling you there's no hope. And if that voice or those voices wins, why not give up on God? Why not just be another person in this wilderness of life? Why, why seek for a city whose builder and maker was God? Why ask myself why I am placed here by God? Why pray? and reflect and seek 
the path God has placed for you in your family, your neighborhood, your place of employment, your context. Why, why wrestle with that at all? Just give up. You see, if the world can take your identity, why not just uh, become another member of your society? Um, keeping your spiritual identity, however, uh, is fundamental for you to come out on the other end of this long, this long sojourn through a wilderness. Uh, and the second thing that the, their, their, their faith allowed them to do was keep their hope. So they kept their identity and they were able to keep their hope. They were told, and let me quote, I, I wanna quote um, from the actual book that was written by the, the journalists and uh, because I want you to hear their words. This is them writing as secular journalists. Yet we found a different perspective in a group of young women who had faced unimaginable hardship and survived. Their faith provided twin anchors of identity and hope during a period when their captors were trying to erase both. Repeatedly, they were told their parents were dead, their places of worship were torched, and their community was now flying Boko Haram's black and white flag. But faith became the language of their resistance. Their regular fasts transfigured hunger into a source of strength as they took turns renouncing food for a few days to create a spiritual energy they believed would help free them. Now here's what's amazing, <clears throat> at least as a believer. While they're doing the same thing, back in their uh, towns and villages, their parents were doing the same thing. Their parents were continuing to meet, continuing to pray, continuing to fast together. Again, uh, let me read from the journalist. On days when their resolve was weak and they had every incentive to give in, Naomi, that's one of the characters whose story is told, Naomi and her classmates leaned into their faith as a source of strength. Just be faithful, they would tell one another. Their surreptitiously scribbled Bible passages and whispered hymns were not only manifestations of belief, but also a way to remember home, family, and who they were before their abduction. Unbeknown to the hostages, their mothers were doing the same thing back in Chibok, that's where they were from, gathering to pray and fasting to seek strength. Uh, this is the journalists again. From the moment we met Naomi and began to hear her incredible story, she explained her survival through the language of faith and showed us the letter she wrote to her family while in captivity. This is her words. We put our fate in the hands of God, said one pencil-sketched letter, hidden for three years before being smuggled out to freedom. Quote, pray that God should touch the heart of Boko Haram terrorists so that we can be set free. This is real world faith. This is real Christianity, not based on fear, not based on dominance. She's not praying that they'll be killed. She's not praying that they'll be a predator strike and they'll all die. That's what governments do and they have the right to do so. That's what judges and soldiers and policemen do and within the right justice that they walk, they have the right to do so. But as a Christian, it's not what she's praying for. Pray that God, 
should touch the heart of Boko Haram terrorists so that we can be set free. Here's the, here's the issue. Uh, they were set free. They were. It took years. They were set free. Uh, not all of them survived the journey. Um, some of them are missing to this day. Uh, but the majority of them made it through and are free today. Uh, let's not be the kind of Christians who only can kiss, uh, mouth our faith when things are good. We have to be the kind of Christians that even in struggle, even facing evil, even being the victim of evil that is manifest through the hands of humanity, we must do the same thing on a daily basis that these girls were able to do. And that is this. I've got to remember who I am. I'm not just a sojourner. I'm the child of God. Secondly, I've got a hold of my hope. God has given me promise. I'm going to hold to it. You have to hold to it. Remember who you are. Hold to God's promise in Jesus' name. We love you. Have a great week. Lord, I pray your covering, your blessing, your love, your spiritual sustenance to everyone who is watching this today. I pray that we would be challenged in our heart by the faith shown by uh, these girls uh, in the same manner that they overcame. God, help us to overcome. In Jesus' name we pray. Be with your people. Give us of your benefit, your blessing, your nurturing, your protection. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. Uh, if you don't have a place to worship this Sunday, we would love to host you at First Church. Um, you can get all the information you need, firstchurchclt.com. God bless. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.